I never thought that after my sermon title from last week, Living Through a Hurricane, that we would be facing uh, again as a nation another hurricane in, in the direction, the path of Florida. Our hearts and our prayers go out to those who are still um, be, uh, being affected by what happened in Houston, in that region, and also South Florida, including my parents and other family members there, and those of you who have friends and family there. But I can say that this will not be living through a hurricane part two. <laughs> There's a word from the Lord, the secret of reconciliation. Let us pray. Come now, O God, and do what only you can do. Speak a word that meets our every need. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all of God's people said, Amen. It's no secret that the world and church are in dozens of splinters. Debates over DACA, conflict with and over North Korea, arguments over the place of Confederate monuments and images, splits and rumors of splits over church doctrine and biblical interpretation. In so many ways, the church is like the world and the world is in the church. In Miami parlance, the church is beat up from the feet up and tore up from the floor up. Crises and conflict abound and the church is not immune to this. This shouldn't surprise us. As Princeton Seminary professor Eric Barreto reminds us, what makes a church a church is precisely the presence of so many troublesome people. Now that I've said that, please don't start looking at your pew neighbors. All right. But the church is a hospital for the sick. The reality is that there will be conflicts in the church and elsewhere. To quote a hymn, there are many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within, fears without. Wars don't only happen between nations on the oceans, but between Christians in church fellowship halls and in sacristies. And when it comes to controversies or hot topics or problems or divisive issues, everyone wants to chime in to be the first to break the news to the public. Everyone wants to make high ratings to assert their opinion because it is so important. And of course, everyone wants to know what you think. They want to spread their solutions and give input on their blogs and their Twitter account, even without having all of the necessary information and facts. And by doing this, people reverse the biblical wisdom of James and are quick to speak and slow to listen when it should be the other way around. People love to talk but not really listen. They want to jump into discussions that aren't theirs to have and share their latest views happily and willingly with whomever will listen, talking over each other, talking at each other, talking to each other but not with each other more interested in their voice than any other voice. 
Do you know anyone who, if they ran like their mouth, they'd be in good shape? Speaking, and I say this as a preacher, is overrated. Yes, Jesus Christ is the word of God and not the ear of God. Yes, when God spoke, God's salvific word was Jesus. But let's not forget what else is in Scripture, such as hear, O Israel, in the book of Deuteronomy. Or how can they hear without a preacher in the book of Romans? Or in Acts, on the day of Pentecost, each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. The gift of the Spirit is not just speaking, but also hearing. There's not only the ministry of the word, but the ministry of the ear. A still tongue can be a wise head, yet dozens of splinters persist and pervade our planet. By not listening, we can actually create more problems. Gloria Steinem once was invited to give a speech at Smith College. And in that speech, she spoke about an important life lesson she learned when she was a college student. She was studying geology and on a field trip, she saw a large turtle that had hauled itself out of the Connecticut River and up a couple of embankments and was now on a trajectory towards the road. Fearful for the turtle, Steinem turned it around and pushed, shoved, and hauled a now very angry turtle back to the river. It was at that point that her geology professor came by and told Steinem that the turtle had probably spent weeks of exhausting effort getting up those embankments, and now, just as it was near its nesting spot, she had turned it around. The life lesson for Steinem was a cautionary one and an important political lesson. She says, it cautioned me about the authoritarian impulse of both left and right, and that I should always ask the turtle. Always listen. The ministry of the ear can be effective in politics and even in pastoral care at a hospital bedside. Sometimes the best thing you can say there is nothing at all. Just be present and listen, knowing that you don't have to have all of the answers because maybe the answer is in your silence. As Baptist minister and professor Howard Thurman once taught, silence is the door to God. This is why what Jesus teaches to his disciples about church conflicts is so relevant for our day. Clearly, Christians can get into conflict with each other, and we've seen that before, being splattered all over the news and the tabloids. That's not really new for many of us, but something caught my ear as I read these words aloud in preparation for today. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be as Gentile and a tax collector. In a conflict, the role of listening is key, not speaking. Look at, at how many times listening is mentioned by Jesus. If the member with whom you have a conflict listens to you, everything's great. You've regained that one. But if that person doesn't listen, it will only expand the problem. If you don't listen to the one person, then one or two more people will be brought into the situation. And if you don't listen then, then the whole church will be brought into it. And if they, you don't listen then, then you're considered a pagan and tax collector, an outcast in the community. So refusing to listen creates a wider chasm and gap. Without a listening ear and heart, the divide only deepens in any situation. The refusal to listen may be linked to the fact that we may have to listen to what we don't want to hear. Bishop Hope Morgan Ward of the United Methodist Church in this area, in this conference, believes that it's essential that Christians learn to listen well and honor the viewpoints of others. First, seek to understand. Second, seek to be understood. How often have we heard, you're not listening to me, just talking past each other? One of the key principles in conflict resolution, as the experts say, is active listening. If there are no listeners in a conversation, there's probably a lack of love. Because listening is a form of love. Listening honors the voice of the other and is a commitment to really understand what's going on. Without it, no conflict can be resolved. This is why we have a stalemate on so many levels in this country. No one really wants to listen, revealing a lack of love. They only want to be heard. Their voice matters. But what about the voice of others? If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. What many don't realize is that the secret of reconciliation is listening. Listening is the path toward reconciliation and a portal to loving relations. We shouldn't have to go to the extent of the fourth century uh, Eastern Desert Father Abbot Agatho, who for three years carried a stone in his mouth until he learned to be silent. We might think that approach could be useful for some of our friends or colleagues, but the point is that we won't be the church God wants us to be without the ministry of the ear. God has given the church the ministry of reconciliation and listening is an initial step in that direction. We need truth and justice as well when dealing with reconciliation, but it can't be all mouths. There need to be ears too. Because without listening, a gulf is created between people in a community moving farther and farther away from others. Even as one who doesn't listen is treated like a Gentile or tax collector, an outcast, according to Jesus. Keep in mind, 
that these are the same people Jesus never gives up on. Though they may not listen, no one is out of the reach of God's forgiveness and mercy and redemption. Jesus is always seeking to restore the lost. His parable of the lost sheep makes clear that the ultimate goal is to reconcile and restore to the community the one who has gone astray. And when Peter, right after Jesus talks about this conflict, when Peter asks Jesus how often he should forgive, Jesus says 70 times 7 as a way to let Peter know that forgiveness is beyond all calcu calculation. One shouldn't have to count if one cares. And the fruit of forgiveness is really mind-boggling. When you realize to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. This teaching about conflict is in a larger context of forgiveness, which embodies the hope to bring back those who are lost, to bring back those who are erring in some way, even if they don't listen well, even if they get on your last nerve, even if they call you everything but a child of God. In Christ, there's always the highest purpose of redemption. Our listening is always toward reconciliation in the church. And if listening can bring about reconciliation, we'll need enough courage and strength to listen in the days ahead when it would be so much easier to speak all the time on and offline. But remember, silence can be golden, and we have two ears and one mouth, so we can listen twice as much as we speak. Like music, our words rise out of silence, and they flow back into silence. The Christian life is not all words. It's also about pause and silence and presence. There is one who never has to say a word because his presence says it all. If we listen and don't give into the hyper speaking of this age that escalates today's conflicts and anxieties, we may not only be reconciled with our brother or sister, we may ultimately be brought into the presence of God in Christ. Normally, when we hear, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. We may think about prayer because that's how so many people have taught this scripture. But this scripture isn't really about prayer in this biblical setting. The two who agree refer to the two in conflict, the offender and the offended. If they agree on earth, if we agree on earth, Jesus will be present. Jesus doesn't have to say a word. He's just present. He's the place of reconciliation. Where we see it happen, Christ is there. Christ in his own listening posture, blessing us with his presence. And you know the story. And, and when the civic and religious powers, they struggled with Jesus and they were in conflict with him, 
Yet he was the innocent victim. He was the one sinned against. He was the one who was hungry. And he was the one who was thirsty. And he was the one who was a stranger. And he was the one who was naked. And he was the one who was sick. And he was the one who was in prison. The authorities were the obnoxious culprits of oppression. They attacked him. This innocent man who came to set people free. Yet the irony is that he's the one who listens, though it should be the other way around. We were the ones who didn't listen. We were the ones who mocked him and beat him. We were the ones who pierced him in his side, and we were the ones who hung him high and stretched him wide. We were the ones who sinned and created a chasm, chasm, but he looked beyond our faults and saw our need, no matter how much we messed up. In an unbelievable gesture of grace and love, Jesus threw a lifeline to us as we were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. He threw a lifesaver. He threw his own life through his body and blood to save us, to bridge the divide, to reconcile us to God. Jesus wasn't the oppressor, but the oppressed. Yet he listened to us, which is why the hymn writer can say, I love the Lord. He heard my cry and pitied every groan. I love the Lord. He bowed his ear and chased my griefs away. He never said a mumbling word, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. Through his agony, tragedy, catastrophe, he listened to the curses and criticisms and cries of anguish from the people. He listened to us in order to save us. He listened us into eternal life and said nothing but, Father, forgive them, for they don't have any idea what they're doing. He embodied the ministry of the ear because he knew that was the way to God, the pathway to reconciliation. So if you keep on talking too much, you might be walking further away from others and God the sound of your own voice may never allow you to fully hear the still, small voice of God. For one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as we approach the communion table, let us hush. For as the spiritual says, somebody's calling your name and it sounds like Jesus. Amen.